0: Please take your swords, or electronic daggers, or whatever you've got now, and uh, turn to Genesis with me. Um, we have a request. We have a request already this morning, but I'm going to speak anyway. So <clears throat> Our subject this morning is the promised Redeemer, uh, the search for the Messiah throughout history. If we take an unbroken father son relationship as recorded in Genesis, uh, we see that about every thousand years, an important person shows up uh, in the timeline of history. And this makes history easy to remember. This is what we teach kids at camp, right? About 6,000 years ago, the first man was created, Adam. And a thousand years after Adam, Noah. And a thousand years after Noah, Abraham, Abraham had many sons. A thousand years after Abraham, we had the world's greatest king, King David. And a thousand years after King David, we had the Lord Jesus Christ. And we use all three titles, don't we? Lord, that's his deity. Jesus, that's his humanity. And Christ, well, he was the promised Messiah. A thousand years after the Lord Jesus Christ, who cares? And a thousand years after that, you get to say your name, more or less. And so now you know all the famous people in thousand-year increments, and it makes history easy to learn. So we ask ourselves this morning, why does mankind need a Redeemer? Well, about 6,000 years ago, 4,000 B.C., Adam and Eve were created And they're placed in the Garden of Eden. So if you look in Genesis chapter 2, in verses 16 and 17, God says, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Well, beguiled by the serpent... By his deception, Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit in disobedience to God. They were banned from the Garden of Eden. Sin had entered the world. Cells began to mutate. The genetic code weakened. Aging set in. All of creation itself was put into the bondage of corruption. The whole creation began groaning and travailing. In pain together until now, as Romans says, mankind needed a redeemer. Someone to set us free by paying a ransom. Someone to deliver us from sin and its consequences. Someone to make sacrifice for us. Someone to restore us to favor with God. Someone to save people from the death sentence of sin. Now we move along onto Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, if you're following along. We see the first hint of a Redeemer. The Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, the offspring of the woman, will crush your head, and you, the serpent, will strike his heel. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Moving on to Genesis chapter 4, Cain is born, followed by Abel. When Cain was born, Eve said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. With the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. The sense of the statement is that she thought this might be the Messiah, the promised one, to crush the head of Satan. But rather than crushing the head of Satan, he murdered his brother Abel. The firstborn of the human race was the first murderer and fratricide. Cain became a fugitive and journeyed to the land of Nod and built a city. Well, Cain was not the Messiah, but what about the descendants of Cain? One of the descendants of Cain was Lamech, the seventh from Adam. Lamech was a polygamist. Furthermore, he killed a man who wounded him. Hmm. He justified himself by comparing himself to his ancestor Cain. He figured, I killed a man who wounded me. But Cain murdered his brother Abel for no reason. I'm justified. Well, history tells us that Cain was the progenitor of the ungodly descendants of Adam. They dwelt in tents, raised livestock, became great musicians and craftsmen in iron and bronze. Let's call them the sons of men. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 25, Adam and Eve had a third son, another possibility. Seth was the father of Enosh, And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Further down, Seth's line was Enoch. Enoch was also the seventh from Adam. In Genesis chapter 5 and verses 23 and 24, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Interesting number. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now Enoch was the father of Methuselah, and Methuselah lived 969 years. Methuselah had a son named Lamech. And Lamech, around 3000 BC, Noah was born to Lamech. In Genesis 6, it tells us the sons of God married the daughters of men, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. By the time that Noah was 500 years old, the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God then determined to send a worldwide flood to destroy from the face of the earth all the living things that he had made. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man, perfect in all of his ways. Noah walked with God. God instructed Noah to build an ark, a 100-year construction project. The cost of such a project must have been prohibitive. He must have been the world's greatest financier to pull this off. Well, yes, seriously, he floated his stock. <laughs> While the rest of the world was liquidated. <laughs> the sole survivors of the flood <clears throat> were Noah and his wife and their three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their wives. The human gene pool was reduced to eight people, and future lifespans 120 years. Now, which of these three sons would be the source of the line of promise? Well, Noah became a farmer, planted a vineyard, made some wine, got drunk, and was uncovered. Ham made light of it. And so Noah pronounces a prophecy of three curses, two promises, and one blessing. The prophecy went like this. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Cana be his servant. Three curses upon Hans' Am's son, Canaan, a promise to Japheth, a promise to Shem, and one blessing to Shem who, we ask ourselves, would be most likely to lead the line of promised blessing. It would appear to be a descendant of Shem. Now following the flood, there's probably an ice age of several hundred years, covering about one-third of the earth's surface. But in the meantime, we have the formation of the languages and nations in Genesis chapter 11. As you recall, the whole earth had one language, In one speech. And it came to pass as they, Noah and their families, journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. They proceeded to build a city in disobedience to God's command to fill the earth, and a tower, the Tower of Babel, so that their name would not be forgotten. Well, God came down and confused their language. So they could not understand one another's speech. The Lord then scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Where did they go? Excuse me. Well, Japheth and his families went to the north. They went into Turkey, Asia Minor, Russia. They went east into China. They went west into Europe. They went to Greece. Ham and his family groups, Well, they went to the east. They became the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Philistines. And then they went down to the south into Egypt and Libya. Shem and his family groups, well, they stayed in the middle. Syria, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia. Well, now, Noah lived 350 years after the flood and died at age 950. Interestingly, he died two years before Abraham was born to Terah, around 2000 BC. And in Genesis chapter 12, we see a clear promise to Abraham God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And here's the promise. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 18, Abraham surely shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Genesis 22, God says, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So the promise is made three times to Abraham of the promised Redeemer. Um, the one who's going to bless all nations. Well, Abraham and Hagar had a son, Ishmael. He didn't pan out so well. Abraham and Keturah, well, Midian, he didn't turn out so well. But what about Abraham and Sarah? Hmm. They were the parents of Isaac. In Genesis 26, verses 3 and 4, if you're still with me, God makes the Messianic promise to Isaac. He says, Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to you you and your descendants all these lands, And here it is, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So a descendant of Isaac will be the Redeemer. Well now, Isaac and Rebekah were the parents of the twins, Esau and Jacob. Which one of them will be eliminated from the line of promise? In Genesis chapter 2, or excuse me, 25 and 25, Esau, who is Edom, was born red and hairy. He sold his birthright to Jacob for some red stew, and his descendants, the Edomites, lived in the rose-red city of Petra. (laughs) Furthermore, Esau married Ishmael's daughter, Mahalath. Keep it in the family, I guess. Jacob, his younger twin, Fraudulently stole Esau's blessing, resulting in bitter downstream fallout that appears to have been inherited by his posterity. Throughout their history, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, allied themselves with others against Israel. When Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem, as you recall, the Edomites joined him and took an active part in the plunder of the city and the slaughter of the Jews. Uh, many centuries later, in the 70 AD, immediately before the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman general Titus, Titus let, gave 20,000 Edomites permission to enter the city of Jerusalem. And they filled it with robbery and bloodshed, the first wave, where right? he just let them in the city, and they killed all kinds of Jews and robbed them and plundered them. And after that, the Edomites as a people disappear from the page of history. I think Titus took care of them as well. Well, this leaves us with Jacob. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 4, Isaac blessed Jacob and said, May God Almighty bless you and give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you. Also in Genesis 28, verses 13 and 14, the Lord said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And here's the promise. And in you, your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Excuse me. Now, Jacob had 12 sons, which constituted the 12 tribes of Israel. To which of the 12 sons would the blessing fall? In Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 12, we read the blessing of Jacob regarding each of his 12 sons. We might initially guess that the messianic blessing would fall to Joseph, as ruler of Egypt, after all. But the key blessing is this. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a log ever from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. This Shiloh is to rule the nations. This is the first clear definite prediction that one person would arise from the hebrew nation to rule all nations it'd be through this one person that abraham's nation would fulfill its divine destiny divine mission and blessing all nations this one person is called shiloh so the promised redeemer would appear from the tribe of judah Now, in Psalm 78, verses 67 and 68, it says, Moreover, he rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah. Well, now, Jacob's descendants were slaves in Egypt for 400 years until about 1500 B.C., when a leader arose by the name of Moses. Moses arrived on the scene. Moses was not the Messiah, but the scriptures tell us that the Redeemer would be a prophet like unto Moses. Well, excuse me. <clears throat> that really makes that loud, doesn't it? You can't even turn your head. <clears throat> Four games in six days makes your throat a little sore. All right. <clears throat> After 400 years, the people of Israel left Egypt and they arrived in the promised land. At that point, they were governed by the judges for about 400 years. Well, Samson defeated the Philistines, but he was not the promised Redeemer. Gideon defeated the Midianites, but he was not the Messiah. In fact, none of the judges made the cut. What about the kings of Israel? Saul was the first king of Israel, but he was not the coming prince. However, around 1000 BC, David was born in the tribe of Judah to a man named Jesse. You recall that Rahab of Jericho was the mother of Boaz. Boaz married Ruth, a Moabite, a descendant of Lot, and their son Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse was of the tribe of Judah and the father of King David. In 2nd Samuel <clears throat> verse 7 or chapter 7 verse 16, God promised David. He says, "And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever. Before you your throne shall be established forever." Therefore, the Redeemer <clears throat> must be a descendant of King David. Uh, Jesse's other sons eliminated. Thank you. Blessings. Ah, there is a place. Keep an eye on that. (laughs) The promise of an eternal throne was made also to Solomon, and Solomon prayed that it may be so. None of the 20 successive kings of David and David's line were messianic material. And Israel went into captivity. Because in 721, the Assyrians conquered the ten northern tribes of Israel. (coughs) Now you recall that Jonah was sent to Nineveh, right? The capital of Assyria, to preach it regarding their overthrow. To encourage encourage his his obedience, Jonah was thrown into the sea. And it says, the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. Uh, Jonah decided to deliver the message, Uh, Nineveh uh, repented from their sin, and it wasn't until about 612 B.C. that the Babylonians came in, destroyed the city of Nineveh, and conquered the Assyrians. Well, Jonah wasn't the Messiah. But in 605, the Babylonians conquered the two southern tribes of Judah. At this point, Daniel was taken captive. The book of Daniel, right? During the reign of Darius, or Darius, the Mede, the governor of Babylon under Cyrus, Daniel receives a vision. This is where it gets interesting. He receives a vision of Messiah the prince, which gives us a timeline. For expecting the arrival of Messiah the Prince, this is the only voice of prophecy in the Old Testament that sets the time of Christ's first advent. Look in Daniel chapter nine and verse twenty-five. This is critical. Daniel nine twenty-five. <clears throat> know therefore and understand. <clears throat> That from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. In other words, 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. So there's his prediction. Time passes. In 445 B.C., Nehemiah makes a request to King Artaxerxes, the ruler of Persia. Nehemiah chapter 2, in verse 5, he says, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, to do what? That I may rebuild it. There are several goings to Jerusalem, but this is the one specifically to rebuild the city. So it pleased the king to send me, and I set a time. Now, Sir Robert Anderson, in his book, The Coming Prince, sets the date of the command to rebuild the city of Jerusalem at Nisan 1, 445 B.C. Um, Sir Robert Anderson, uh, London, Scotland Yard, assistant commissioner to the Metropolitan Police, and the chief of the Criminal Investigation Department. He was very meticulous, solved a lot of crimes. He also wrote 17 major books on Bible themes. He was a a grand Christian and excellent student of the word. But he says, you can calculate the time of the appearing of the Messiah by using either prophetic days or calendar days. Either way, it's the same. If you use prophetic days, you take 69 weeks times 7 days a week, or years per week, excuse me, and you get 483 prophetic years. Take 483 prophetic years times 360 days of prophetic year, and you get 173,880 days. This brings us to Nisan 10, 32 AD, or else April 6, 32 AD. Now, you can also prove this by using calendar days. Uh, from 445 B.C., to 32 AD is 476 years. You can't count year zero because there isn't one. So it's 476, not 477, okay, when you add the two together, all right? So if you take, bear with me, 476 years times 365 days a year, you get 173,740 days. Then you have to add March 14th to April 6th inclusive. That gives you another 24 days. You're not there yet, but you need leap years. So you take 476 divided by four, you get 119 days, but every 100 years isn't a leap year, so you gotta subtract four. But every 400th year is a leap year, so you need to add one more day. So now you got 116 days plus 24 days, plus 173,740 days, and guess how many you get? 173,880 days. Exactly. So the time interval <clears throat> between the command, Nissan 1, 445 B.C. and Nissan 10, 32 A.D. is the same as the time interval between March 14, 445 B.C. and April 6, 32 A.D., 173,800 days. Now it would be wise to start counting if you figured this out, right? When you knew the command was. The interesting thing is the Old Testament prophets... Close with Malachi in about three ninety seven B C, at the end of Daniel's first week, first prophetic week. Seven times seven is forty nine years. Boom, that's the end of the Old Testament. That's the old. That's the end of. Um, it's complete, and now nothing happens for four hundred years. <laughs> then one evening, about a thousand years after King David, Jesus was born. And the angels announced to the shepherds, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Could this be the promised Redeemer? Well, let's see if he qualifies. In Matthew chapter 1, tells us that Joseph, the husband of Mary, the stepfather of Jesus, was of the lineage of David through King Solomon, David's son, giving Jesus the legal right to rule from the throne. Luke chapter 3 tells us the genealogy of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her lineage from the line of David through David's other son, Nathan. Therefore, Jesus was in the bloodline of King David. And then, of course, when he went to the temple, Simeon says, For my eyes have seen your, your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Sounds pretty messianic, doesn't it? Well, during his ministry, Jesus tells the scribes and Pharisees, he gives them a sign. And he says, um, they said, teacher, we want to see a sign. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign. But no sign is going to be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. One sign given to him. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, the great fish, wasn't a whale, so the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, the unseen world. Now we arrive at Palm Sunday, which is not now, it's in the spring. But Matthew 21 tells us, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. <clears throat> then the multitudes went before, and those who followed cried after, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. This was his triumphant entry, right? Right? Well, Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. When was Palm Sunday? It was Nisan 10, 32 AD, April 6th, 32 AD, exactly 173,880 days from the command to rebuild the temple. He went in and out of the city, and on the fourth day, Thursday, Nisan 14, He was crucified. Why do I say this? Turn with me back to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Let me take you back to Exodus and God's command concerning the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 1. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month, which is Nisan, shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, Nisan 10, Every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Skip down to verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day, Nisan 14 of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. You see, the Passover is a type of Christ our Redeemer. First of all, the lamb must be without blemish. The lamb was kept and observed for four days, and then it was sacrificed. Jesus was the Lamb of God without sin. His triumphant entry was on Nisan 10. He was observed going in and out of Jerusalem for four days. And then he was sacrificed on Nisan 14. Paul writes, Christ, our Passover, our Lamb, is sacrificed for us. And concerning his resurrection, recall the giving of the sign of Jonah. Three days, three nights, in the belly of the fish, So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So, we need three days and three nights. If it wasn't three days and three nights, he lied. So he was crucified on Thursday. Let's count. Thursday, Thursday night. Friday, Friday night. Saturday, Saturday night. Just before dawn on Sunday, he rose from the grave. How do we know it's just before dawn? The tomb was already empty before the sun rose on Sunday. Otherwise, you'd have four day, more than four days. You'd have four days. Matthew twenty-eight one says, "Now after the Sabbath, the first day of the week began to dawn." As the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Mark 16, 1 says, "Very early." Luke twenty-four one, "Very early." John twenty-one. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So he rose before daylight on Sunday morning. Three days and three nights exactly. A Friday crucifixion would not be sufficient to fulfill the requirement. He was crucified on Thursday, not good Friday, in keeping with the Passover picture and the type in his own prophecy. Clearly someone, or someone, made a calculation and has not recanted concerning Good Friday. (laughs) That's my opinion. (laughs) There have been in history six kingdoms of significance. And the descendants of Ham, of... Noah's three sons all have had a chance to rule the world. The first kingdom was Egypt when the pharaohs, the descendants of Ham, ruled the world. Next, the Assyrians, the descendants of Shem from modern-day northern Iraq. Nineveh was the capital on the eastern bank. Mosul today is on the western side. They ruled the world. Thirdly, the Babylonians Also, descendants of Shem ruled the world from modern-day southern Iraq. Their capital is Babylon, (laughs) located 50 miles south of Baghdad of Saddam Hussein's former residence. The Babylonians conquered Judah in 605 BC. Then we have the transition to the descendants of Japheth. The fourth king was the Medo-Persian kingdom, empire. The Medes from northern Iran, the descendants of Japheth, and the Persians from southern Iran, led by Cyrus, conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. The fifth kingdom was the Greeks, the descendants of Japheth, led by Alexander the Great, who conquered the Persians in 329 B.C. Sixth kingdom was the Romans, also the descendants of Japheth, who conquered the Greeks in 63 B.C. And the world continues to be sort of ruled by the descendants of Japheth today. they are United States, Europe, Russia, China, the northern kingdoms. <laughs> Those are six recorded kingdoms. Each one has failed. But there is a coming seventh kingdom. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. Daniel said, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4 speaks of the kingdom age, living and reigning with Christ a thousand years, the reign of the promised Redeemer, the reign of the Messiah, the reign of Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus told his disciples, I will come again. And then at his ascension, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will so come again in like manner as you saw him going to heaven. Well, what about today? 2 Peter 3 says, Knowing this first, the scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation but beloved do not forget this one thing that with the lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day the lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but as long suffering toward you not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We started in Genesis. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 22 and verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The King is coming. His return is imminent. Set your house in order so that you love his appearing. (laughs) He's coming quickly. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that all of your promises are yes and amen. We thank you that in due time, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We thank you for so great a salvation. For neither is there salvation in any other, no other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. We thank you this morning for the truth of your scripture. We thank you that we can rely on it. We look for your imminent return. In Jesus' name, amen.